Hey everybody, welcome to episode 178 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is your host, Chris, coming to you from Austin, Texas. I'm excited about my guest today. I've got three-time guest Mallory Brooks coming back on the show. She's been on episode 16, 39, and most recently episode 97, about 18 months ago, where she was talking about a Maffetone training block, Phil Maffetone math method training block that she was doing leading into a big goal race buildup for her. And so many people have asked over the last 18 months, what happened with that? How did Mallory enjoy that math block? And what did she learn from it? And so I've got her back on to talk about it in this episode. I'm excited to have her back. For those that don't know Mallory, she's one of our coaches here in Austin, Texas. She and her husband, Jason, coach our trail program. And then she also co-coaches our Team Rogue morning program in downtown Austin with Coach Brad Hudson. Mallory and Jason also own Spectrum Trail Racing, and so they are race directors as well. And so we'll actually start this episode by just getting a little behind-the-scenes perspective on dealing with this pandemic from a race director's perspective. So we start there with Mallory and then jump into talking about her experience with the Maffetone Method. We'll get to that in a second. Before we do, I just wanted to give you a quick preview on some podcast-based training programming that we have that will kick off in May. So coming up here in about a month, on May 11th, we'll be kicking off three different programs, two ones that we've done before and and one new program. I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of that and then tell you how to get more information. So the three programs, one will have our core kind of podcast-based training program that we've been running now for six, five seasons. This will be our sixth season, and that'll be kicking off on May 11th, training for fall races. We'll have a speed track for those who want to gear up for 5K and 10K distance. We'll have a half marathon track, and we'll have a marathon track as well with all within that same program. That program is really more for that intermediate to advanced runner who's ready and focused on getting faster. Then we'll have our second version, our second season of the base training going on with coaches Jason Brooks and I. And so this will be our second time to do the program. We started it in January. We'll be finishing it with that group in early May and then rolling into a new program for those who want to use the summer to build their foundational base training And that could be for those that are looking to build mileage for the first time, as well as those who might just want to reset and focus on building mileage from maybe their highest point to date, or maybe coming back from injury and just looking to reestablish that aerobic foundation. So that'll be our second program. And then we'll have a third new program that is going to be a women's only half marathon focused program coached by rogue coaches, Ruth England and Jennifer Howard Brown two of our longtime coaches and Ruth is one of our rogue founders and they're really, really good at what they do. And I'm excited to have them joining our podcast based coaching team to coach women who want to learn about the specific needs of women within a given training program. And this will be geared towards that new half marathoner all the way to that more advanced half marathoner who might be looking to run a certain time And we'll have actually Jen and Ruth coming on next week's episode to talk about that program in more depth and get a little bit of a perspective on how they want to 
manage and organize that program and tailor it specifically to women. So that'll be coming up next week. All three of those programs will all start the same day on May 11th. That will kick off the training. And right now you can't quite sign up yet. We're working on getting those links up, but you can sign up to join our email list to learn more when we have that information ready. So if you just go to roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training and scroll all the way to the bottom, there'll be a box that allows you to click into it and join our podcast training email interest list. And once we have those sign-up links ready for you, we'll be putting that out to everybody on that interest list. So if you're interested in learning more, go sign up on our email list. I'll also include that link in the show notes so you can access it there as well. But we hope you join us. We've got over 100 athletes that train with us via this podcast platform and it's been and really we have athletes from all over the globe and it's been really fun and fulfilling to extend our rogue community in that way and we're excited to have these new programs kicking off coming up soon so again more details coming sign up for the interest list which i'll link in the show notes as well as include on that page roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training All right, enough about that, and with that as our intro, I'm going to bring Mallory on the show again. We're going to talk to her about her experience training via the Maffetone method. Here we go. Welcome, Mallory Brooks, back to the show. How are you doing today, Mallory? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back. Last time I had you on, I think, was when we talked about the Maffetone method before, episode 97, back 18 months ago, so it's been far too long and I'm excited to get an update not only on how that went back then but also on everything you've been doing since but first how are you doing now in self-quarantine pandemic mode <laughs> so, yeah so where we whereas we used to get to do this together right in this awesome little podcast in our speed shop I'm now right. like hunkered down in a room with the door locked with a note that's like, do not disturb. <laughs> I yeah. feel like I'm going back to my like teenage days. Like I, my space is all I have. My room is all I have right now. So <laughs> you got to protect the space. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we're good. It's, we got a kiddo and like you said, we're basically trying to figure out how to become teachers and I have a whole new respect for the people that teach my child now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned that I'm not, meant to be a teacher I yeah. already knew that but this has reinforced it yeah I mean I think I have the patience and I'm calm and I talk to him you know in a kind of tone but I don't think of things through the same lens that a teacher does I don't get creative about ways to teach them I'm like my my go-to answer is I don't know it just is like can, can't you just accept <laughs> that and move on it's like but but why do we cut things in half I'm like I don't know we just do <laughs> <laughs> we just do I'd be fired <laughs> Well, you've got the job for now because there aren't yes, many it's, yeah. <laughs> Job security is good right now. So before we jump in and get a, a redux on Maffetone Method, I wanted to talk to you as a race director, as co-owner with your husband, Jason, of Spectrum Trail Racing. You guys are having to make some tough decisions right now about races because of this situation. And I think sometimes if for those that aren't race directors, it's hard to put yourself in that place. And it's, it's hard. And as someone who's directed races before, I know that no one ever wants to have to cancel a race. That's worst case scenario. And in this situation, it's definitely worst case scenario. 
So how has that been for you guys? It's been uh, quite the learning experience and, and never have we had such a like throw the rule book out the window. You know, we like to be a company that's predictable. And if this happens and these are our backup plans, and this is a situation where we just constantly find ourselves thinking like we just, we don't know what to do because we create a plan and then the CDC gives out a new recommendation and we don't want to break from that. So we're just, we truly have gotten down to like plan Q at this point. Um, and, and we spend all this energy crafting some new idea and we're excited about it. And then something else changes and, and it changed so quickly. And we, we have four, cal- um, four races on the calendar that were supposed to happen within about three months of each other. And the outcome of what we're doing with all four is could not be more different. I mean, the, the first one, it was like, we're going to go ahead and cancel this just because we're going to be good citizens, but we still legally could host this. And then the next one, it was like, we can't even legally host this if we want to. And then the next one was, okay, well, let's try to at least keep this one alive and hold it virtually. And then now um, our fourth one, which is going to be our first race in Colorado is going to be completely canceled. And that's basically that town has said, we, we just don't have the capacity to take care of our own people if they get sick. So we don't want to encourage anybody to come in. We can't have tourists come in. So out of respect for, for them, we canceled. Um, and it's hard. And, and you know what, you don't really know what the right thing to do is. Is it to give a refund? Is it to defer? Is it to just say, hey, I've already paid for so much of this stuff. I can't give you a refund. So um, we've decided to give 50% off you know, we kind of give them options. We give them a 50% of their race back or a deferral to next year, usually with a free pass to give to like a buddy to bring with them. Um, but it's hard because although that seems like a great plan right now, we're going to take a big hit next year as well. Um, and we've had some of the most loving responses and people saying, you're doing the right thing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Like we're there with you through thick and thin. And we've had people that we just... we've created a blacklist. This whole thing has forced us to create a blacklist of people that we won't allow to race with us anymore because they're so hurtful. And the name calling and the, it's just, you have to, they have to understand that we're doing the absolute best we can with what uh, expenses we've had and with what we're financially able to do without sinking ourselves. Um, So we're very appreciative for all the people that are understanding and, uh, Maybe growing uh, thicker skin for the people that uh, don't quite agree with what we've decided to do. <laughs> well, as someone who has helped direct races both on the road as well as the trail, and I do think the trail world is a little bit different, maybe maybe a, a little more forgiving than the road racing world. But even if everything goes to plan with a race, you typically will get some sort of bizarre, crazy response from somebody that involves a nasty email even if everything goes perfectly (laughs) that's just the way it is for a race director that's our that's the life that you live it is yeah but but in this situation i can't even imagine where it would go yeah there's there's been a lot of like look i'm trying to respond to you but i'm also teaching a child and i'm also refunding all these people and you know these just weird scenarios of you know people say we're really frustrated you haven't told us it whether or not the race in five weeks is canceled and like we, because we truly don't know. I mean, we've hosted a race uh, two years ago where it was flooded and we had to cancel and that was so definitive. And this is like, 
we just kept wanting to hang on, like maybe tomorrow things will change and then we can still host it. And, um, and the truth is people just wanted you to make a decision and be decisive and, and, uh, and you can't make everybody happy, but we had to do what we thought was best for the community. What was best for, I mean, we're, it's a small race series. We only have, you know, some of our races only have a hundred people, some have 300, but even 300. I mean, think about that in terms of size of like a, a standard road race. I mean, we know these people, they're our family. So, um, so it hurts even more to let them down and know that we are taking away this stress reliever, this awesome outlet for them. Um, so hopefully we've done some good by putting out these virtual options, but I know it's not the same. It's just absolutely the best we can with, uh, the given situation. And these are gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching decisions, I know, and I can't really even imagine because the other part you said is that it affects not just this year, but it'll affect next year because races build on themselves. You know, the momentum from one year carries over to the next, and if you have to cancel one year or you have a bad weather year or something wrong happens in one year, it always affects the year after. Yeah. And so you don't know, how is this going to affect the future? Yeah. And I mean, handing out these deferrals right now sounds great. People are happy. They're excited about it. And then we just think, oh my gosh, next year we have, we have all these deferrals and it's great. We want to honor them and we want those people to come use them. But you also think it's kind of just delaying that uh, financial hit that we take. So we'll be fine. It's just got to be smart and uh, and we'll get through it. But the Trail runners are are resilient, if nothing else. So uh, I think they'll come out out of this whole thing ready to get back to running. And uh, and you know through this whole thing, at least they haven't taken running away from us. I mean, I feel like you know golfers are going crazy. They can't you can't play golf. I mean, I guess you can make a putt putt green in your backyard, but uh, swimmers are going crazy when they're closing the pools. But it's like they can't take running from us, right? At least. Maybe I shouldn't say that. We hope not. We hope not. <laughs> Knock on wood. Right. So it so seems what, like a good sport to be in right now. Yeah. So what can people do to support? For us, a lot of different races are doing some pretty cool stuff. And I I applaud any company right now that is coming up with a, a fun way to uh, to stay afloat. We just did this virtual cheese tasting thing. And it was amazing. And we paid way too much money for cheese. But we went through this whole cool virtual thing with this uh, local Austin cheese shop. So we're trying to do things that are like that. So we've done some virtual races. Um, initially, we felt comfortable marking a trail, a 10K trail, and going out there and kind of supporting them without being anywhere near them, but you know, kind of being there in case there was an injury or helping people who were lost. Um, but then other than that, we've just been saying, you know, if you don't feel comfortable going to this exact trail, run a 10 K in your neighborhood, report back, we'll put you on the, um, results list. We'll send you your race swag. And for us, that's about the only way that we can really be supported is through these virtual runs. Um, a long time ago, we started something called the vagabond time trials. And that was just this idea of underground racing, this like you know, race on trails where we otherwise aren't really allowed to race. It was our way of getting around all the rules. And uh, it's it's been nice to have already had kind of our foot in the door of that virtual world, uh, because now that's what people are looking for. And uh, so it, it, signing up for any kind of virtual race or uh, the time trials helps us. Um, and other than that, just being helpful and saying, hey, we look forward to next year. And just right now, I feel like kind words could go a really long way. <laughs> 
you know, the other thing I would offer is that people can also still just say, hey, I, I want to defer, but I want to pay for my entry again next year. Yeah. And while, you know, if you were to talk about fairness, you might say, well, that's not fair to have to pay twice. Well, maybe it isn't. But if you're trying to support these small businesses that make these races happen and keep these races around for years to come, then that's one way you can do it is just say, hey, no, I'll pay my entry again. It's a little it's a little thing I can do to help support this for years to come. And of course, you know, if that's not financially feasible, that's obviously an understand things that's something you would understand. But for those that have that ability, that's something else they can do. Yeah, absolutely. We would definitely take that at this point. Yes. yes. So anyway, we'll hang in there. We know that uh, we'll be we'll be cheering you guys on when we, when we can finally start racing again. That I think is the next big question: is when can we actually have yeah. real races again? And that's still up in the air. How are you guys thinking about the fall? Well, fortunately, we don't have any races planned for the summer, so we get to kind of check out then anyways but our biggest race the one we sell out you know six months in advance and has a waiting list is sky island which is end of september and man i've like we we can't even get to the point of talking about that uh maybe needing to be canceled for many reasons one it's like it's the most joyous race in our lives right now um and i don't even know how that works with all these people who have been on the wait list who um how do we defer those? And so more than anything right now, I'm just hoping it doesn't, uh, this doesn't last that long for, for many reasons. Um, but I, you know, this is a much smaller race. This is a race where it's Texans driving to a little town in Texas. You know, we don't have much out of state travel for that kind of thing. So we take into different, we take different considerations into account, um, you know, compared to like Boston who, I don't know how these big world races are going to still go on in September because that is such a massive influx from all around the world. Um, so what we do may not necessarily be reflected with what they do. We're we're really such a kind of different machine. Um, so just fingers crossed right now that Sky Island in September still goes on. But if it doesn't, then um, yeah, there's no way to make that one virtual. There's no way to to experience really what that is, what that kind of, uh, run through the mountains is like without actually being there. So it would just be a deferral the next year. And, uh, but man, I hope we don't get to that point. <laughs> Me too. I hope we don't get to that point for Boston either, which is just a little bit before that race. Yeah. It's yeah, a week before I think. You could strap a GoPro to Jason and have him run the have him run the trail and just run, people the trail run on their treadmill. We experience. can all drink <laughs> while he runs it for exactly. us or something like that. Yeah, let's, let's hope it doesn't oh, yes. get <laughs> Fingers crossed on that one for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, hang in there. We will, again, like I said, be cheering and supporting when those races do get to open up again. Yeah. Let's talk about the Maffetone method. As I mentioned, we had you on episode 97 as you were stepping into little Maffetone block that you were that you were jumping into. So I wanted to go back and recap that a little bit and then talk about, you know, where you went with it. We've had a lot of questions, you know, here and there over the last 18 months of people asking how it went and what you thought and what you learned and, you know, how it was fitness wise. And so I want to get to all of that as well. But let's just start by kind of going back to why you did it. Why did you introduce 
this Maffetone method to your training. And I guess as a part of that, if you could also give us a little overview and reminder of what that is. What it is, yeah. Um, so I guess it was now a year and a half ago that I found myself about 10 months out from my big A race, which was going to be a, a push to run around Wonderland Trail in Washington. And it's that funky spot of thinking, you know, I'm not really ready to start putting in the massively long runs or uh, any kind of specific training. So why don't I use this time to work on the things that where I feel like I'm suffering the most. And um, I felt like I had the mental strength and the muscular strength, but I've always lacked that aerobic strength. Um, I've, I struggle with a higher heart rate and keeping it low enough on my recovery runs. So I was researching a little bit about how how to improve that, um, how to help out my VO2 max and just, I'm a coach. So I like to geek out on that kind of stuff. I have those questions coming in as well as questions of my own training. And, um, I, I had a health coach that was working with me on stress and sleep and nutrition. And he just threw out this idea. So he introduced me to this Maffetone method and I did a decent amount of research. And fortunately, my friend, Devin Kiernan, another road coach, uh, decided to do it at the same time as me. And I thought, well, what a great time to use this as a, a, basically a test of two people who are fairly different. He's male, he's older, he's, we had very different uh, race goals. And just thought, what if we both go through, the, through this training cycle and come out of it being able to say, hey, this worked, this didn't work, this didn't work, uh, this is what was good about it, this is what I would have changed about it. But Basically, Maffetone method. So Phil, Dr. Phil Maffetone's a kind of legendary coach who came up with this idea of your math number, your being your maximum aerobic function number. And to get to it, and, and he has this whole laboratory where you can go in and actually get a test done where you can come out of it with this specific number for your training. But since we can't all go do that, he came up with a pretty simple math equation of how to get to it on your own. And First, you subtract your age from 180, and they use little adjustments that you can make. So if you're recovering from a major illness or really don't consider yourself a, an athlete uh, or really not in any kind of training block, you subtract another 10. If you have just been inconsistent with training but not really suffering from a big illness, then you subtract just another five. If you've been training for, I think it's two years, but you, you know, no, no issues, um, then you just keep it that same number, 180 minus your age. Um, if you've been training for more than two years and without any injury, you add another five. Okay. So, so I was adding five had it had, since I'd been training for more than two years and had not had any uh, serious injuries or illnesses. And the idea is that you just run at that heart rate. Um, your warm-ups are approximately a mile and done at about 10 beats per minute below that, just to, to actually use that as a warm-up to that, what your math, your maximum aerobic function heart rate number is. But then other than that, all of your runs are done at that heart rate. Um, they, I prescribe a five-mile test that you should do every four weeks just to make sure that my athletes are, are staying on top of it and, and are actually speeding up. That five mile, three to five mile test can be done after a one mile warm up, and then ideally on a treadmill where you can control all variables. But um, if you just have a track, that's fine. Try to pick a day where the weather's a little similar to the next time that you can train. Now that's hard here in Texas. I think when Devin and I were doing it, our test kept improving, but 
also humidity levels were dropping and uh, temperatures were getting lower. So debatable as to whether or not we were actually getting faster. The weather was just getting better. Um, Then after those three to five mile tests start showing that you just have a plateau in progress, you can go back to doing speed work. But until then, there is, I mean, virtually no speed work. And one of the interesting things that he said is, um, that Maffetone has said is that people struggle with the, but what if I'm not fast anymore? And how do I know? And, and I remember describing this as feeling like I was like growing cobwebs in a part of my hip because I never really reached that full angle, that wide stride, because I was just maintaining the shuffle all the time. And he says, go out and do a few strides if that feels good mentally to just keep you uh, keep your sanity in check. But otherwise, there's no speed work here. Uh, not until those tests start to plateau. And then at that point, add speed work back, back in. And he suggests no more than uh, 20% of your weekly mileage. Um, so it's a lot of stuff, but it is pretty basic. If it really is just go out and run easy and, and come back. And it's interesting because you, at the end of each run, you should feel like you could have gone back out and run that all over again, the same speed, the same distance. Um, I found that I only ever stopped running because I had somewhere I had to be. Um, I stopped looking at my watch. It's a pretty refreshing thing to not have to worry about pace. Um, it's, it is a good idea for an athlete who wants to learn pacing by effort and not just being glued to their watch. It's also good for somebody that would, um, want to improve the utilization of running like, um, of, of fat. So rather than just using being a sugar burner, you can become a a better fat burner, which is especially good for more of an endurance athlete. Um, And then it's also good if somebody has been dealing with uh, like aches and pains or a higher than normal degree of uh, stress. I think potentially doing this right now, given this weird situation we find ourselves in, we all kind of find ourselves in whether or not you say you're stressed right now you're stressed. It's a, it's a scary thing going on in the world right now. Um, and maybe this is a good chance for people to kind of dial it back and, and make sure your immune system's good. You know, you're not going to be taxed like you would after a long run or a, a speed workout. Um, so it's, it's now is a really interesting time to be bringing this up. So, just to summarize, so basically yeah. you're running, easy running essentially at a consistent heart rate that equates to this formula to determine your math heart rate, your maximum aerobic function heart rate. Mm-hmm. For me, as someone who's 40 years old, 180 minus 40 is 140 plus, you know, as you mentioned, I'd probably add five beats because I'm, I've got some history with this sport. So that would put me about 145 as my math heart rate. Is that right? Yeah, correct. And so, and you're younger than me. So what was yours? Um, so I was at 151. Okay. And did you find initially that it was hard to stay there? Like go slow enough to stay there? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh yeah, I couldn't run hills. I remember just thinking I couldn't, I cannot physically run up a hill and keep my heart rate at 151. So it became a lot of like power walking up hills. Um, it's slow. It feels really slow. And 
But that's also a, a sign that I was running too fast on my easy runs. And um, a lot of this Maffetone training is done alone because it really is just based on your heart rate or it really should be done alone because you don't want somebody else's heart rate to be adjusting how fast you're running. Um, you don't want to feel pressured by somebody else to go faster or slower. It's, it's a lot of checking in with, with how you feel. And I, rather than constantly monitoring my heart rate, I found that if I could just close my mouth while I was running, then I was at that point. So it's an interesting indicator rather than, you know, always worrying about, it, you know, because your heart rate monitor will jump around. And I would just say, okay, from here to that stop sign, can I close my mouth with, with ease and just breathe through my nose? And that helped me kind of figure, not always having the, to watch the heart rate, but it's, it's a really slow, slow jog. You no longer, at least I no longer felt like a runner. I felt like a jogger and I felt like my stride changed and I had this short little shuffle and, um, it, it but it sped up. So the good news is in the beginning it does, it is slower. And, and if you're doing it right, and if this training works for you, then it should improve. And the goal being that you should just gradually increase your speed and without really even uh, tracking it or, or aiming for that, I would just come back to my computer, upload my watch and think, oh, I just did that that run at 10 seconds faster per mile than I have been, but my heart rate stayed the same. So the goal of this whole thing really is to, I mean, other than to becoming to become this fat burning machine, it's to be able to run faster at a lower heart rate, just basically be a more efficient machine. So basically build that aerobic foundation. Yeah. So, and, and just to give a little bit more detail so people understand these time trials that you were doing, these three or five mile segments, basically you're running three miles or five miles at that heart rate and yes. you're hoping that over time you're able to do it faster at the same heart rate, correct? Exactly. Yep. And, and record each mile and each mile should get progressively slower, right? As if you're trying to maintain that heart rate, um, no more than about 10 seconds per mile. Um, and then ideally four weeks later, that should, that should all improve and you should be getting faster. And until, um, and until it plateaus, then keep doing what you're doing. It's working. So how did that progress for you? How did those time trials change? Yeah. So we, when we started out, um, my numbers were like, I think nine, nine, 15, nine 30, we did a three mile test. And then the next time I did it, it went down eight 45, nine, nine 15. So basically just all three miles shifted 15 seconds faster. And then it did that one more time. So I, I essentially went from running a nine, nine, 15, nine 30 to an eight 30, eight 45 and nine, keeping it at the same heart rate. Um, and I did, I guess we did it every four weeks. So that, and so that was only for about two months. That was a, that was an eight week block. Um, and then we did it for, I think I continued doing it for about two or three more weeks, but didn't do a fourth test. I did an initial baseline test, a second test, a third test, and then kind of just used those next two or three weeks to gradually add in a little bit more speed and to move out of that, uh, that just, 151 heart rate for six to 10 hours a week. Yeah. But that's a lot. I mean, you approved 30 seconds per mile. Yeah. At the I same heart rate. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot. 
yeah, no, if, if, uh, I mean, it was, if, it, again, there was a little weather um, playing into that because I didn't have access to a treadmill. Um, so, you know, let's say that that affected it by, I think we calculated like 6%, the weather affected it by that much. But no, it's still, I definitely would say that that it was a success. And same goes for the person uh, that I did this with, with Devin. He improved about 30 seconds per mile. So what did you learn and where did you take it from there? Yeah. So um, le- I learned how to be patient with training. I learned how to, to do thing. I learned how to do a training block that I didn't necessarily uh, enjoy. I ended up enjoying it, but it wasn't, you know, there's something so magical, about magical about a track workout or about some hill repeats and, just feeling like this sense of accomplishment and running with your friends. And there's a a bit of isolation in this kind of training because it is just you and your heart rate. Um, So I got, I got pretty comfortable. I've always been pretty comfortable running alone. I've been a long distance runner for a while and a trail runner at that. So um, there's a lot of just getting to know, kind of checking in with yourself and how do, how do I feel? Um, I started to notice that that my diet, um, alcohol intake, sleep and stress have huge, huge effects on my heart rate. So um, if one or two of those things were off, I think I never actually got to the point where I would say that I really screwed up all four at one time. But um, if one or two of those things were off, I had a really hard time keeping my heart rate low and and feeling like I was even actually jogging. I mean, I would end up just kind of this power walk because there's I carry so much stress in my, in my chest and neck and shoulders and everything just felt tense. Um, so I think I started to really dramatically see how those four things, how, if I ate, um, I mean, I don't respond well to gluten and and dairy. If I ate that the night before I was affected, if I had more than one drink or even a drink that affected me less than seven hours of sleep, it affected me stress. It affected me. So, um, I mean, we, we all know this and it's, it's interesting, right? Because keeping all four of those down is virtually free. Not eating junk food is free. Drinking enough water is free. Not drinking alcohol is free. I mean, getting enough sleep. It's like, and there's really, there's no, there's nothing sexy about sleeping for eight hours or, or not drinking or, or eating, you know, all your greens. But I could see pretty dramatically how having all those four things in line would make for for a good run. Um we ended up getting tested uh, at the UT Center, uh, another Dr. Phil, uh, in the kinesiology department, and just to see how is this affecting us. And and we were jogging with all these little sensors on us, and he was like, "You've basically just become this amazing fat burning machine. You're burning fat from the get go. You're burning fat when you're running fast. Like that was just suddenly what what my body was comfortable with burning. I wasn't relying on a, you know a, a gel and." we, you know, we had that interview with Zach Bitter. He's been known to say eating sugar, you know, you should eat sugar only when, only during like a high performance output kind of thing. So use it as this like high octane fuel, use it when you absolutely need it and don't train with it. And we had set ourselves up for success there because our body no longer really needed that kind of thing for fuel. Um, I didn't feel like I needed to take food with me for a two to three hour run. I didn't need to eat before runs. I slept well. I didn't feel all little, you know, niggles, little aches and pains were gone because I just wasn't, 
wasn't working that hard ever. Um, so those are good. I guess those are my main takeaways. Yeah. It, was, it was an interesting mental thing because you you do you lose some running partners, and I had to say no to anybody that asked to run. And you know, as a social runner, that's uh, often how we catch up with each other. And you take that away, it's like you kind of kind of lost friends there for a little while. So where did you take it from there? You know, obviously you got better through the process of running faster at the same heart rate, but how did that then allow your training to progress as you built towards the Wonderland goal the following summer? Yeah. So I slowly added back in speed. And I remember when we talked, I didn't really have a plan for how I was going to do that. Um, There wasn't really this mapped out specific plan for how to get there. It's like, go talk to your coach. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to give out specific instructions. I don't know you. So props to him at least for, for not having given this like exact recipe for how to do it. I just, I, and I do think, uh, I do think Steve called me out on this one. He was like, you're going to feel like shit going back into running fast because this is a part of your machine that you haven't used. And, and it felt hard to get back kind of like you would feel if you'd been out sick for a week or been traveling for a couple of weeks, you know, your first couple runs back, you think, Oh my God, I lost everything. And it's not true as coaches. We know that our athletes come to us and say, I just, I don't have it anymore. I think because I haven't run for a week, I'm, I'm not a runner anymore. I've lost it all. And it's just, that's just not how our body works. It, it remembers, it just needs some time to help remembering. So I incorporated uh, speed work in about 20% of my weekly mileage. Um, and just didn't really expect to hit paces that I, I had been hitting, but I was now able to run these, you know, 10 mile easy runs with team rogue at a heart rate at my 151 heart rate and, and run faster, you know, 30 ish seconds per mile faster. So I would call it a big success. I think I had a great experience with it. Um, I learned a lot. It definitely didn't hurt anything. I was able to do it at a time where if this didn't work out well, I still had enough time to kind of clean up the mess and get back into training. Um, but it's a great, it's a great way to get to know yourself as an athlete outside of running in a group and outside of running based on your pace. I mean, I know we use paces for the mile test to have kind of a way to measure success, but on my daily runs, I really had no, no reason to run fast or no reason to check my pace. Um, and it, it's enjoyable. Then my goal was to hit. Uh, I started with eight hours a week and then built up to 10 hours a week uh, of just, you, I don't know, run three miles in the morning. Oh, after dinner, I have time to get in two more miles. I just kind of chipped away at that 10 hour goal without any kind of, um, you have to run 10 today and then tomorrow's a speed work. So run less. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what you're doing the next day. The day you're still running easy. It's just like really very little thought put into it, which was kind of a nice break. And were you doing the, st- the strides at all? Yeah. Or not? Yeah. You were. Um, about, let's see, I would say like eight weeks in, I, I decided I couldn't do it anymore and just started. I, I tried to research, what should I do? Do other people have the same issues? And um, with being worried that I've lost any kind of turnover. And uh, so Mapitone suggested to do just throw some strides in at the end of runs. And I think I did like two to three times during the week. I would just run this, you know, 15 second all out sprint just long enough that I felt like my legs were moving. It reminded me I've got this 
ability is still there in my back pocket. It hasn't gone away, but not long enough to really, um, really exist outside of that heart rate for more than, you know, 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, as a coach, I think I would recommend keeping that, you know, probably throughout. I mean, again, I haven't personally done the Maffetone method, but it seems to me if you want to keep that, that those fast twitch muscles active, it's a, be a smart thing to do, obviously in a short controlled way, you know, I, I don't think you need more than probably six to eight strides per week doing this with full recovery between each one, but you do want to keep the turnover at some level because as you said, you know, your stride kind of shortens and changes when you're in this mode. And I kind of liken it to me training for ultras last summer when I was doing most of my work, not necessarily at a specific heart rate, but at a heart rate that would allow me to go for as long as I needed to, you know, for up to 12 hours in the race itself. And so, you know, so there was a lot of shuffling going on for me. And when I came back from that, it was hard to get back into the the faster stuff, even though I felt like the engine was strong. Yeah, so I, I think this does happen a lot when people kind of transition over to trail, because if trail's new to you, even if you're a fast runner, it you're you're just not confident enough at where your foot's landing or how to move about on the trail to get your heart rate up high. So a lot of times I think just naturally going over to trail, you kind of go through this kind of period where you're back to the basics, right? You're back to this, what coach Brad calls the introductory period. You're like essentially going back to this preparatory kind of training. Uh, and it's good for you to do. And whether you do it, you know, Maffetone has you do it on the road or, or you do it on the trail. It's like, maybe this is a good time to come over. To, maybe it's a good time for me to tell everybody that they should do this on the trail. Um, but it's, it na- happens naturally when you transition to trail because it's a it's a new sport. It's learning to move kind of in a, in a different way. Yeah, so it makes sense that you were that you were experiencing that. Yeah. So when you think back to it, would you do anything differently? I would, like you said, add in strides earlier on. I shouldn't have waited so long. I waited until I was kind of at this breaking point of like, am I have I lost it? Um, I would do it longer. I think I dipped out a little too early. I should have kept doing more tests and and truly waited for that for that plateau to happen, to happen. I got a little worried about now at this point, okay, I'm, I, I had been 10 weeks out, or sorry, 10 months out. And now I'm seven months out and I'm starting to feel like I, I don't have much more time to really mess with this when I have a hundred miler coming, coming up. So, um, I would have stuck with it longer. Um, also, I mean, this is only one part of the massive wheel that Maffetone has created of these like eight steps. And I, I mean, I, you know, we're only one part of that. We're, we're the running coaching kind of component and the other parts are, are more diet and uh, nutrients, but I would go through the whole thing again. I mean, he talks about, um, what are his eight steps? He talks about carbohydrates, um, inflammation, that might be the same one, vitamin D, folate, um, aerobic is what we're working on with this, um, stress. He has a couple others. So, so it's kind of this whole encompassing thing of how to make yourself a better, a better athlete. Um, and we, we can all use that kind of stuff. So it's a good reminder to go in and, and check in with yourself. Like, am I also getting in enough vitamin D and folate and, and tracking more of it? I think when I had done it, I journaled a bit like, ah, today felt bad or, oh, a mile two was bad or a hot day. Um, 
I would I would start to really track my heart rate each day and and what it was like. Not track it on the run necessarily or my paces, but come back to the computer, upload everything, and then look at generally how. I mean, we have so much technology right now to be able to just throw that into a, a graph and and see how I'm improving. Um, and to figure out a way to include weather with all that, because that's always been a big question mark to me. Was I getting faster or was the weather getting better? Um, it almost seems like now would be a good time to try it because it's the reverse, right? We have cool right. weather right now, but we're going into the summer. So if anything, if your numbers stayed the same as the weather got worse, I would almost call that a win. So, so just to put a finer point on the length of time you would do it, how long would you say you would do it? You would do it if you could go back. I would probably do. Uh, I did three months. I would do four, four to five. I would do five months. I think six is really? kind of the, the max of what anybody sees success with. Um, but I would commit to doing five, and then if that test is still getting better, commit to continuing to do it. It's wow. A lot of solo runs. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about some of the logistics. What did you learn about? heart rate tracking were you using a chest strap yes yeah just to get a more yeah a speedier response i guess of the heart rate um i had had an apple watch and don't necessarily know if that's um kind of it's it's good for knowing your heart rate throughout the day but it didn't seem to give me immediate feedback um on my runs so i uh i had a sunto at the time i don't remember what kind of had but i had a chest strap um and that helped. And I would take off on my runs and start off at a 140, build up to 150. My number was 151, but um, not let myself stay in 150 for too long. And yeah. I think I, it, Mapidone's the first one to say like, well, what if I hit 152? And it's like, right, you like you give a mouse a cookie kind of thing. If you, if you, if you get, if you ask for a 152, then you're going to go for 153 and 154. So I, I actually tried to aim more for when I hit 150, I'd start to kind of like dial it back down and not let myself get up too high. Yeah. So if someone wanted to check this out or consider doing it themselves, what were your best resources to tap into? I mean, he has a he has a great book. There are a couple of books out. Um, let's see if I can pull it up. What was his math? Uh, I do have it somewhere in my house. Seems faster to pull it up here. What is his? It's like the Maffetone method. The Maffetone method is the yeah is the primary. So that's the one I use kind of as just a, um, like a reference. I would, I would get the book. I would learn why he wants you to be doing what you're doing, because why do anything unless you fully understand the reasoning and it helps you stay true to what you're doing, knowing that everything really does have a purpose. Um, and then I would talk to a coach unless you otherwise know really well how to adjust your own training because if he, if in his book, he's saying run this for 10 hours a week, but you're only doing four, then should you really be building up to 10 or what does that look like? So I'd get the book, educate yourself, and then work with somebody on how to make that work for you and whatever your goals are. And maybe if you're training for Boston in September, you don't have a ton of time to play with this. Um, so it does matter when you're kind of asking for that asking for the outcome to be when do you need this thing to end so that you can get back to your specific race training. Um, yep. Because it is, it, it's not a one size fits all thing. It's this concept of run slower to be faster. Here's how to do it. And that's very ambiguous. So how do I make that 
really broad concept apply to my very specific training plan. Yeah, that's true. But I also would tell people not to overthink it. I mean, it's intentionally simplistic, I think, yes. yeah. which is part of the beauty of it. And yep. if you just, if you just go with that, then, you know, the rest will kind of take care of itself. It is this really interesting, like very, very specific, but yet very basic plan. So it's like, you know, read the book, understand it, and then lay out your methodical plan and then just go. And it becomes really easy once, once that's laid out, just your general plan of I'm going to commit to doing this for five months and every four months I'm going to do a test and I'm going to run eight hours a week, every week, maybe build to 10 if I'm feeling good. That's really as basic as it gets. There's no build, there are no off weeks, down weeks, drop weeks. What It's just running easy all the time. And it's a beautiful thing to be really simple. It makes you kind of appreciate the simplicity of just going out and running just for the sake of, of working on your heart. Yeah, I would also add that philmaffetone.com is a pretty good resource as well. A ton of information on there. He has also a lot of blogs that explain this type of stuff, including stuff that is applicable beyond just his specific math method. In particular, he has one on the warm-up and cool-down that I find really fascinating about the importance of making sure that you go through all of the heart rate zones, warming up and cooling down in the reverse in order to get the body really ready versus starting too fast and kind of skipping heart rate zones can actually cause you to be, you know, not as warm as you need to be and not as ready to go do your work. So some really interesting stuff there. I would also add as someone who's been tracking heart rate myself more, not only because I have a Garmin now with a wrist-based heart rate, which works, I would say pretty well, but I also have this Aura ring, which I've been experimenting with since Amy got it for me for Christmas. Aura spelled O-U-R-A. It's a ring that you wear. It tracks mostly your sleep, but it's looking at heart rate, body temperature, respiratory rate, as well as heart rate variability overnight, and then giving you both a sleep score and a readiness score for your work the following day. And one of the things that it tracks is your overnight resting heart rate. And it's fascinating to me that in addition to heart rate variability, it's fascinating to me how those two data points in the morning can tell me exactly what I need to know about how ready I am to go do work. And Does it give you an HRV score every morning? So it's so it's not giving me a score for HRV. It's measuring HRV, so it gives you the raw data on that. And then gives you the sleep score and a readiness score, this is what they call it, that pulls in a bunch of factors. And if your but, readiness score is is non-ideal, do you still go to a speed work? Well, I would say I haven't gotten to the point yet where I've modified because of it. But I'm also, I would say, you know, again, I'm only, this will be my fourth month of using it. And at the beginning, I was, you know, in the final throes of marathon training and then came back from marathon training. And then now I'm in quarantine training. So I I haven't really been in pure training mode with it yet to the point where I could use it for that. But I can definitely see, you know, when I know running will feel hard 
and or when I've made some bad decisions <laughs> that yeah. contributed to that. And so, you know, just like this morning, I woke up and I knew because I had, you know, a few glasses of wine last night, I knew that would affect my heart rate because it always stays elevated after I've had alcohol. And so when I woke up with an elevated heart rate overnight, I knew that my run was going to not feel as good today, even though I was just running easy than had I not had alcohol last night. And, you know, it wasn't an issue in that, you know, I still went out and did my 10 mile run today, but I went slower than I probably would have had I not made that decision last night. You know, again, no judgment on the decision. You know, (laughs) that was the right thing to do because, you know, it was a good day, but, um, but at the same time, my body wasn't as prepared for my run this morning as it would have been otherwise, and I needed to adjust for that. So I just took it super easy today on the run and had had one of my slower Monday runs in a while. But that's okay. Got the work in. The aerobic system was stimulated in the way it needed to be, and I didn't stress my body given the fact that it was you know, a little bit behind after last night. Yeah. So it's it's things like that to me that have been helpful. It's also been helpful to see, you know, not only the factors that influence that and then and then inform your decisions, but also, you know, to learn over time. To me, the, the data over time is probably more interesting and relevant as to, okay, well, in this window of time, my habits looked like this and my data, you know, outcomes were as follows versus in this window of time and my habits were different. And I've seen a dramatic difference in my quarantine data, for example, than pre-quarantine where, you know, I'm probably getting about an hour more of sleep per yeah. night right now yeah. because, <laughs> because I'm not getting up, getting up at 4.30 run. to run. And yep. so, you know, and it's showing up in the data. My readiness scores are on average probably seven to eight points higher. My sleep scores are are higher and physically in general, I've felt pretty good. So, you know, so it's good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Potentially informing future decisions after we come out of this, but all that's to say though, that heart rate, you know, and I've told people this before on the podcast, even if you just wake up and use one of those heart rate phone apps, you can also use an HRV phone app to measure heart rate, your resting heart rate in the morning. If you look at that first thing, it's going to be a really good indicator of your readiness to go do work that day. And, you know, obviously the math method takes it a step further and kind of carries that into your running itself. But it's amazing what data your heart, your heart will tell you. Yeah. I mean, nothing else. Like I would suggest doing this just to, to be kind of a data geek, like figure out how you're feeling and how your heart rate is, is a whole thing, breathing and heart rate or something that are such massive parts of this puzzle of becoming an athlete or being an athlete. And it allows you to focus on those things. And if you like to track it all, there are ways to easily do that. There are watches that'll do it for you. So it's, it, it, it forces you to pay attention to all of that. Um, but at a very, you know, again, it's, this complicated thing, but it's, it's also so, so basic so you can kind of just take that basic concept of run easy a lot and 
and figure out now, okay, because all of that is so simplified, now I can look at what were my strides? What was my cadence? What was um, my breathing, heart rate? Could I run with my mouth closed? That's something I've never even thought about. Am I a nose breather, mouth breather? Um, so it kind of takes away all the, all the other crazy detailed things and allows you to, to focus on these other crazy detailed things. <laughs> yeah, and more than anything, learn something about yourself while also developing a massive aerobic foundation, and that can never hurt either. Exactly. And this may be the time to do it for those that need something to do or focus on while we're waiting this thing out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's basic and it's boring. I think it's, it's like Alberto Salazar says training is like soup. If you only have one ingredient, it doesn't taste good. So I think as long as you're go into this knowing like this is, this is basic and, and, and commit to doing it, even when it, it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere. Uh, I think, like you said, you can only come out of this with a better aerobic machine and a better understanding of, of your body. Uh, the claims that it's going to cure all your ailments. I mean, anything that says that don't believe that. So there is a little fluff with the whole thing, but, but at the end of the day, those two things will come out of it and, and you win. (laughs) Yes. There you go. Well, thanks Mallory for joining us. We really appreciate the recap. Hang in there, stay safe and healthy, and hopefully we'll be running together again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. There you go. Mallory Brooks, everyone, and definitely something to consider if you're looking to add some really basic aerobic foundational work to your training right now during this quarantine time. Thanks for joining me, Mallory. Thanks to all of you for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next week, we'll talk to you soon.